Welcome to Soul to Scene, episode 10. I'm Andy Cooper from RMS Motoring, and I'm joined by Gary Riley. Good evening. And new show host, Mr. Ross Annett. Good evening. Is it Annett or Annette? Annett. I get called a lot of things, but um, Annett normally. <laughs> well, um, well, that's not the only thing that you're, you're called. Um, uh, there's much worse to come. Ross is known by his uh, unassuming uh, moniker of uh, Big Pimp <laughs> on the uh, RMS forum. It doesn't just sound as big pimping when I say it, does it, Ross? <laughs> Among other things, Ross runs car chemical outfit Anakem Automotive. Daily's an X5 M50D and also has a 25 quid uh, E46 M3. Welcome to the show, Ross. Uh, for the uninitiated, how the hell do you end up with an E46 M3 for 25 sheets? Pure luck. <laughs> um I was one of the, the lucky people who um, won one of those car raffles. Um, I'd originally went in for Arkane's competitions. Um, and it was one I had actually forgotten about. Um, it was coming up to a big birthday for me uh, a couple of years ago now. And I'd always said I was going to get myself something nice when it was coming up to it. Um, I saw the car advertised. I, and at that stage, I hadn't went in for many competitions at all. It was only if I saw something that was like kind of special or, or a twin cam that I knew I was going to go out and go mad different or something. In. Yeah, yeah. But we had saw this M3 on, and there was actually, I think there was a few of us. There was me and Big Pete and Tufty, and a few of the guys were all sort of like ragging each other a bit. And I bought the ticket, and uh, I think there was actually somebody on RMS had sent me a message about, you know, we've watched these videos of how you clean your wheels, you know, could you, could, or, uh, could you fire up a, a short video on how to do it? So Saturday morning I was out, and I had the camera set up, and I had the wee tripod, and I had my, my AirPods and my ears, and this phone number kept ringing me, and I was like, what in the name of God? So, let it ring off a couple of times, and then phone them back, and this guy was like, well, bye. I was like, hello? He says, have you heard the good news? I was like, what? Have you heard the good news? And I says, I think you've got the wrong number. I thought it was tough to hear somebody taking the hand. Uh-huh. And he goes, have you not heard the good news? And I goes, I haven't, no, what's up? And he goes, is this Ross? And I goes, yeah. He says, Ross, this is Mark from Markings. I said, right. He says, you've just won the Dakar Yellow M3. And I was like, <laughs> um, probably quite a few swear words that I couldn't say. Um, but it was just one of those uh, completely surreal moments and, and had the sweaty palms. I was outside with the phone set down the ground trying to video how to clean wheels properly and, and whatever else. So like, I'm buzzing and I goes, are you, are you taking the piss? And he goes, no, no, have you not, have you not seen Facebook? I've been out all morning, man. So um, he says to me, Go check Facebook. Can you come up the day and lift it? And I still at this stage thought somebody was taking the mickey out of me. So I ran into the house, ran upstairs to my missus. And I goes, Bruna, you, you not believe it? And she thought something. She goes, what's wrong? And I goes, I just want a car. And she goes, you what? I goes, I've just, I've won a car. She goes, what have you won? I goes, it's an M3. And she goes, an M3. So I went down and showed her the picture of it. And she was like, <laughs> it's yellow <laughs> so I was like yeah and she goes what are they worth and I goes flip I have no idea like it could be you know 10 or 11 grand I, I really have no idea it cost me 22 quid and she goes oh, well you could always sell and pay for a kitchen <laughs> so I was like yeah I don't think so <laughs> so that's how that's how I came across the, the Dakar yellow M3 that, that I absolutely love it, it's, it's just turned into kind of a car that people recognise me for and, and it's been very associated with my business and that there um, because again the, the black and yellow brand and I try and push a whole lot through it yeah. and the yellow M3 then became very known 
Um, but as I said, even though it cost me £22.50, it's, uh, there's been a few pounds spent on it since then. Yeah, oh, look, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's lovely. I saw it for, well, I've seen it several times, I think, but I, I saw it in, in good detail at, at uh, last track day there, Kirkuson track skills. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely first class. What, what, are, what are those seats you have? So those are a set of Cobra Mizano seats. Um, everything is kind of done in the car. Um, in a couple of forums that there was a, the M3 Cutters forum, I'd seen um, guys buy and sell a lot of stuff. And, and, and again, it's something very similar to RMS. You know, there's there's a very close-knit kind of community on it. There's a real trust involved in it. Mm-hmm. Good forum. That. So, yeah. And I saw a guy had these seats in an E92 M3, but he just didn't really gel with me, didn't like it. Uh, and again, one of the things about an E46 is it's, it's no matter what way you look at it, it's an 18, 19 year old car now at this stage. And the seats just aren't so comfortable. This guy had these Cobra Mizanos freshly retrimmed in Napa leather, um, cross stitched in that there. And I just sort of said, okay, I'm interested in them. I ended up getting them a steel. Um, now it took 22 me 22 quid yeah <laughs> a wee bit more than that light industry <laughs> but the thing it took them like 15 or 16 weeks for Cobra to get the CPSs in for me so because it wasn't a direct fit they had to get the, the proper subframe specific ones um, but between them between the carbon fibre door cards they're all genuine carbon fibre um, I've the car came to me with some subtle modifications, so it's, it's been it's been tarted up a wee bit since then. Because as with anything, you know, we're all modifiers at heart. We all like doing these things, so the car couldn't stay standard. Do you, Do you think with the fact that it stood you so little money, you were happy to spend money on it? If that makes any sort of sense? Yeah. Do you know something? It, it's one of those ones. Much since the same as when you've done the, the podcast with Murph um, when he won the the wind cam. Uh huh. That's a nice old cam. That's a nice old cam. <laughs> uh, there, there was no love there, it seems, at the end. <laughs> um, an E46 M3 was one of those cars that, just for me, growing up, there was a memory with it. Um, I can remember being in a Phoenix Yellow one when they first came out. My cousin, uh, her boyfriend at the time, had one of the first ones in the country. Um, and I can just remember vividly going out for a drive in it, um, you know, a wee bit of diff and a wee bit of donut and mm-hmm. stuff that just sort of as a 16, 17, 18 year old at that stage, you're like, wow, this is like a dream car for me. So when I won it, um, to me it's a car that I've been offered a lot of money back on a few times now and, and I just don't want to sell it because even if I did sell it, I'm not going to get anything comparable to it for the same kind of money. So that's why... I don't mind spending a few pounds on it because, yeah. um, you know, the first thing I'd done was send it up to Rick again, uh, asked for advice in RMS about where would you send the car up to. And again, people came back to me and said, look, this is where we would send our cars. This is Rick's garage. This is Rick's garage, yeah. yeah. Um, he gave it a full overhaul, a full clean bill of health. It turned out that the car was actually in really good condition already. The shell burns, the, the kind of usual things had been done already. But for me, this is a car that I'm intending to keep in, so I don't mind spending a few pounds on it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, no matter what way I look at it, it's it's a twenty two pound M three profit. Yeah, no it's never money. Yeah, oh no, there they are a brilliant car. Um, I had an Estrel blue one for three years. Um, my wife's if she ever listens to the podcast, going <laughs> well, yeah, well actually I drove that for three years. Yeah, uh, but and you had one Gary yeah, as well, Estrel blue one as well. Yeah, for mm-hmm. a few years, and they're brilliant cars, and you know they still like any magazine you read, they still. A lot of maintain it was the, the best driving M3. Maybe they're not as powerful as the new ones now, but they're, they're just an amazing thing to drive. They're definitely, you know, at the end of the day, modern BMW, a, a 320 or 330D, would probably see it off in a straight line. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing about the 46s for me is the sound, is the, the atmosphere, yeah. is the drive. 
Um, real zingy six cylinder kind of noise that rasp rasp, that noise Um, and again I've modified a few things so it came with a scorpion exhaust on it which keeps the kind of tinny raspiness um, but I added one at the Eventuri carbon intake which mm-hmm. just gives it a wee bit more snort oh a lovely intake noise then from there oh, there your class nice as a big carbon thing is it yeah oh awesome yeah. Yeah. and then the CSL direction yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've seen, seen this price of the CSL so I um, CSL intakes used to be able to pick them up for around probably seven eight hundred pound maybe two years ago a year and a half ago now you wouldn't see one below two and a half, three grand. Mm-hmm. And that's if you can find one. There's a few CSL owners on RMS who are yeah. uh, rubbing their hands. Absolutely. There's also a few prior CSL owners on <laughs> RMS. No, no names mentioned. <laughs> trying, trying their eyes. Not a man from Balamoney who, <laughs> who, who might be bitter about... Watches uh, every penny. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, no, very good, very good. So, you're very welcome to the show Ross and hopefully you'll stick around and help us uh, as we bring on guests and talk nonsense about cars and uh, talk all about various things we've been up to with with vehicles like so you've you've uh, the X5 so that's the quad turbo yes. uh, is that the most recent is that's it? the Geo 5 shape one yeah so it's the most recent one um, again one of the ones that came out came through by fluke we were uh, on a family holiday and i had at that stage the jaguar jeep and i loved it mm-hmm. um but was this an F- fps that was the fps yeah was it an svr or something like that um, or a, no it, or was the, it was the three liter diesel s which was still 300 something horsepower yeah it was lovely it was a nice shape um you know it was it was a beautiful car and, and everything i loved everything about it but it ever break down uh, actually, no, it didn't. It oh. was one of the ones that I was. I was very lucky. I was Gary, this, is, this man's clearly lucky. Let's get him to do the flipping lottery this evening. He has. <laughs> he's twenty two point M three, and he has had a Jaguar Land Rover product that's never broken down. Break down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm listening for interest here because my wife loves the FPS and is chatting about getting one. So it was. Uh, I, I want to hear more about them breaking it, down. It was. It was a beautiful looking car, uh, and I still think to the, today. You know, there was mine had the LED headlights in that there, and it was just. It was really, really sleek. It was really nice interior. It was. The mood light and it was just it was really really nice but i need something a wee bit bigger because i said we have three kids and at that stage you know we were taking before, pre-covid before everything went went belly up um you know there was football coming on there was gymnastics there was loads of different things so i said we were on a family holiday and at that stage i saw one of the first x5s um and i just thought it was lovely it was white it was over in dubai and it was, i said to my missus i goes that's beautiful isn't it she goes yeah it's really nice so we came home and I went into Bavaria and was speaking to the wee guy Simon in there. Um, and I says, look, I'm, I'm registering interest for like a 40 AI, a petrol or something. Because I was driving my van most of the time then and having having a Jeep, moving down to the three litre diesel as well. Uh, for me, it was a bigger Jeep with a drop down in power. So I didn't want to do that. So I registered my interest for the 40 AI. And uh, him being a typical salesman, I says, well, has a 50D ever appealed to you? I was like... <laughs> yeah, but like the price brackets away out of my, you know, that what I want to spend. Silly question. Um, and it just so happened they had a black one there with a tow bar on it, which was like the two kind of prerequisites, a seven-seater with a panoramic roof sitting there. But it had to be sold before the end of the month. And this was like eight or nine days left before the end of the month. So man maths very quickly were put into action. And uh, yeah, the, the X5 Quad Turbo 50D was... Was purchased unreal. And what power? Do they make? So they're four hundred standard uh, with a shed full of torque, um, and they map to around four eighty very very easily. It's unreal uh, for for the size of it and the shape of it. Uh, I would have to say it's one of the best things I've ever owned. You know, I've I've had a couple of Range Rovers and they've been beautiful. The FPS I thought was fantastic, mm-hmm. but but this this X five is just it's just 
the best car I've ever had. There's there's no doubt about it, and and it does everything in style. For a diesel, um, obviously it's got BMW's uh, accentuated note, but mm-hmm. when you have it in sport mode, there, there's a really nice rumble to it. So there mm-hmm. is. Um, but yeah, it's it's just I love it. That's great, Ross. Well, look, uh, great to have you on board, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing more about uh, the two BMs. One thing that Gary and I were talking about before you joined us was we were at the uh, classic car show there in the NEC. Great to get out, Gary, wasn't it? It was fantastic to get out. Uh, great to just get on an airplane, go over the water, and have a weekend, you know, and a weekend full of cars and. Everything yeah. else. It was fantastic. It was yeah. great. Um, I've uh, written a bit of an article about it. I'll put this in the show notes. I also put stuff about a uh, picture of your M3 and new seats in the show notes as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just thought it was great to get back to something like normality. It was f- full of internal combustion cars. Yeah. Sort of feel like we've, it's it's all went a bit EV. And I'm going to start waxing lyrical very shortly here about the uh, Ionic 5 and model Y and all that sort of stuff but it was great to get go to somewhere which was just all petrol there wasn't even even much uh, no, I would say there. 99% petrol uh, there were a few uh, kind of clever resto mods if you remember a couple of them had electric conversions love the EV uh, resto Land Rovers and things yeah there was a, a Mini yeah as well was there a classic Porsche as well there was a classic the, Porsche uh, Mini there was an E-Type I think with a, an electric conversion and then a few of the Land Rovers. Yeah, it's fantastic. Makes them super reliable and super yeah. fast. Like it's just, it's just so cool. Uh, just on a bit of a uh, segue before we get back to the NEC show on the EVs. I don't know if you've watched Fifth Gear at all, uh, but they went purely EV yeah. electric. Now I haven't, I haven't actually seen any of the new series, but it was it was interesting listening to the Sniff and Smith podcast because I'm a big fan of Johnny Smith, and he has he's actually left Fifth Gear, and he was saying one of the one of the reasons he left was they didn't have really any major falling out or anything because they got on really well with some of the presenters but he said the fact that it was all EV he thought it was a wee bit short-sighted mm-hmm. it was too too much of a, a fad type mm-hmm. thing and I know I can hark on we're not there yet I, exactly I, I can hammer on like mad about EVs and I'm hoping in the next few I'm going to get round and you were talking about the video I did I did a mm-hmm. video of the review of the Ionic 5 and I want to get round some of the alter- other EVs out there but I don't actually have an EV myself. Came here in the GRER, so the GT4. I, I don't plan to have an EV myself for a while. And if I do, it'll be for for a daily or yeah, for a life daily or something. I'm kind of the same myself. The, the idea of an EV is appealing. There's no doubt about it. Um, a lot of talk in the forums that they make sense, especially for business users. But for me, we're not there yet. Uh, if I could have had an, e, uh, an EV van, that would have been perfect for me. Yeah. But we we just don't have anything that has the range of reliability it's right close. now. It's, it's close. close. It's really close. But, but nevertheless, they're dominating the media, no matter where you look. And as, yeah. as you mentioned there now, it's, it's taken over the podcast and the shows. And one of these uh, items that we're going to chat about tonight, I was actually trying to research today. And on only one of the car sites, I think it was Auto Express, uh, and only their news section. And they had nine news articles, eight of them were about EVs. Oh. And I just thought like that's, you know, they're, they're shying away from the combustion engine, which is not to be... I suppose it's to be expected to a certain degree, but there's still a massive portion of the the, the population out there driving that kind of car. Well, look, I'm going to let you run away with uh, the uh, about the NEC show, Gary. But before I do that, one other thing I recommend if if to get away from the thoughts about EV is listen to the Collecting Cars podcast. The most recent episode is Chris Harris interviews Andreas Prudinger, who is the head of the GT division of Porsche. So he's involved in build, building the best 
some of the best uh, naturally aspirated mm-hmm. internal combustion cars. You get GT2, GT3, GT4, all the RS models and RS. It is a fantastic listen. It's hard to beat. But anyway, uh, internal combustion of the old variety, Gary. So Yeah, a classic car show, not the electric car show. So it was great to see proper cars, proper engines. Um, a massive show, as we mentioned in the, the last podcast, a million square feet, I think. Um, so many football fields worth of ground to walk around. And very well run this year. You know, there was uh, obviously COVID controls in place, but by and large, once you got through the door and you showed your quarantine certificate, or sorry, your, your uh, COVID certificate, once you got through the door, it was fine. You just walked around. The, the stands were spaced out a little bit more, but by and large, very similar to previous years. Good thing they didn't do hangover controls. We wouldn't no. got in. <laughs> Breath testing the way in. Um, to be honest, you, know, you, could, you could wax lyrical here and spend a whole day just talking about the sheer volume of cars on the roof. Uh, it's hard to think of a model that wasn't there that we didn't see. Do you, know, do you know what I like about the shows? It's the owners clubs bring some of the most amazing stuff yeah, there. So you'll be amazing like, stuff. It'll be like the Jaguars owners club and they will just have the most amazing examples of things. But right down to like the Austin Allegro owners club mm-hmm. or something really random will be there as well and they'll just have some amazing stuff if if you like that sort of thing so right. there'll be something for everyone there'll be there'll be like the uh the ford sierra club or whatever else and they'll have something really old and like a, a 1.6 gl not when, just a when, when we say amazing stuff we're chatting about standard amazing stuff it's you know you're seeing an rs 500 with mirrors underneath it and it's all are these concourse like concourse yeah, Concours, a lot of them. And there's classics probably from, you know, the early 1900s right up to uh, modern day, modern classics, you know. But the amazing stuff is really amazing. And then you've got the really super amazing stuff, like uh, the things that have kind of special treatments done them. So a good example was the Supra, which had a DCT, BMW gearbox. Oh, I, to could, I could talk about that I, so I day. should say this was a Mark IV Supra, not a BMW Supra. No, exactly. So, so this, yeah. this and and you've, you'll, you'll start me now yeah. because uh, this was... Uh, the grey super will post the picture in the show notes mm-hmm. tuned by Whiffbit is it garage Whiffbits and had big single turbo on it and then you look inside and there is the wee pearl of the BMW DCT out of an uh, F80 or an F82 yeah, yeah, M4 did I imagine that and you know? we're chatting the guy he's like yeah this is, this is a big conversion now putting the 7 speed DCT into a and, said, oh, and, the, and people are using this for mm-hmm. drifting and I was what and he's like oh yeah you can map wow. you can map a clutch click a clutch kick on a switch so guys are are fitting this instead of a sequential box because it's much cheaper and is reliable yeah and i was like it's oh. tried and tested yeah I, this, this this blew me away so then i was like so here's this guy and it was like a 93 or 94 early uh twin or nice big single turbo super 700 horse but it has like uh hill assist and all the rest you know and traffic and just you know just you, yeah. uh, just unbelievable but it also made me then i i my flipping mind was racing i was like i was like if i ever wanted to build a proper track car. It's like, oh, I always thought an M3 or M4, F80, F82, especially before the prices went crazy, like 20 grand nearly mm-hmm. would have bought you like a Cat D or a Cat yeah. S and mm-hmm. a M4. Strip it out, take all the weight and all the computers and shit out of it. I was like, but do you buy the manual so you can slide it about and you have a clutch or do you buy the DCT because for like Nürburgring or track work, DCT is a better job for track because you have less things to think about on, but it's not good for something if you're a bit of a dick like me and want to slide it about. <laughs> you see, that, that's a question I'll ask you because you you have done drifting that in the past before. So when I watch and and, and I can drive a wee bit, I wouldn't be the best driver and far from the worst. But when you see like Chris Harrison likes out there hanging a DCT car out doing a full on drift, like are they really that easy to do that with um, with the automatic gearboxes or mm, the biggest 
trouble sometimes you have with those boxes is if they want to change gear mm-hmm. and it's mid drift mid yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, and sometimes that's a good thing because if you get a nice clean shift you can change gear through the drift yeah there's no lurch as it's yeah. clutches or declutches or whatever exactly or or it could go the other way where if you're something where depending on the ratios it jumps up a gear and then the, the car bogs down it makes it more difficult if you can click the clutch it's it's much easier as yeah. well to break mm-hmm. to break traction but it's perfectly doable but what i like about this dct box is it's you've the best of both worlds if you can if you can electronically put so presumably just put a wee baby pedal in that yeah. or it's maybe did i hear the guy said it on the button or something like that there so you do the clutch click kick on the button so you can put the clutch in and you have the button on your hydraulic handbrake wow or maybe like my yaris that it automatically it just disengages momentarily and then yeah yeah totally so you you have it entirely electronically controlled like it's just uh, just sounds absolutely people are are so adaptive when you think about you know the days of changing an automatic car into a manual because that's what you want to do yeah and now they're completely flipping the switch on a thir- nearly a thirty-year-old car, and that's that's the other thing yeah. too. So classic car show. The stuff's now right, right up the street. We're all, we're all, we're all that ilk now. <laughs> that that uh, like oh, Mark Four Supra, which which uh, to some people sounds quite modern. It's like no, it's it's nearly three decades old. It's like the Fast and Furious, yeah. yeah. Knows Although they've aged well, <clears throat> you know, there was how many four of them parked in a stand, and then there was a three hundred ZX sitting behind it, which I just don't think has aged as well as the Supra. No, no, no but the. the uh, there was some lovely stuff of that generation back there. There was a the Silverstone had an R34 GTR as well. Yeah, Silverstone Auctions had that Bayside Blue R34 GTR, which didn't I don't think sell. But anyway, no, Silverstone there, Auctions was, like, was, was, yeah. was fantastic. We took a we took a walk over, I think, on uh, Saturday and looked around there. Uh, the, the, the paddock area with white fencing around it, and you have to buy a program to get into it and all that there. But when you get in there, that really was. In terms of modern classics, the cream of the crop, some of the nicest stuff was sitting within that wee paddock. Really, really, really special, low mileage examples. Like, this is the big thing you go to to see, Ross. When yeah. you go there, you go and see uh, some really random stuff. They had like an RS4 with two or three hundred miles on, on the clock. 200 like, miles, oh, yeah. Oh, so this is like an 07 one or something yeah, like that. B, really? A B7, Miguel Blue RS4, and some guy that I bought it. Drove it home, stuck it in the garage. Maybe 200 miles was from the dealership to his house wow. and just never drove it again. Yeah, and like, uh, and the other favourites at the moment yeah. there are Wheeltail uh, Sierra Cozies. Yeah. And a couple of escorts as well. Um, some real nice old Alfa Romeos. Um, just loads of nice stuff. And the, the auctions ran on the Saturday. Uh, they didn't sell everything this year. Now, a lot of years they have sold most of what they have there, but. Just a few of the notable mentions. There was a, a 2001 red Tommy Magnum with uh, 60,000 miles, give or take, which went for 73,000. Absolutely nuts. You know, I remember like it was not long ago they were 20 grand. It was for a really nice one. You, you had a Mac, Gary, didn't you? I had a Mac which I paid 12 grand for, so, and, and, and it was clean. Feeling a bit of walls. Not last week. No. That wasn't last week you paid for it. as bad as Woodcutter in the CSL. <laughs> <laughs> There was a, an 89 RS500 Sarah Cosworth, 15,000 mile, so obviously dry stored or something, uh, 110,000. It's the price of a house in that. A 22B with 15,000 miles, which didn't sell. I believe it didn't meet reserve. Not sure what the reserve was, but it must have been crazy because that would be a hugely popular purchase. I think it was quarter of a million. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. I think I, th- I, th- I think the guide price was 225 to 250. Yeah. Which is for... And, and I looked, looked at that car up... Um, and the picture is in my article in RMS. But a 22B is a funny thing. It is, it's all about the heritage. Yeah. Because see when you look at it, and see when you objectively look at it, there's a lot of standard or 
third, you know, it's it's a three hundred brake horsepower four wheel drive Japanese saloon. When you know you, it stand is. Back. But then I remember standing at paddock looking at it, and it was surrounded by like Mark II escorts and other stuff. It was really really nice, but it was like a, ma- a magnet that people were just going to the twenty two B. Don't get me wrong, there's something it's, about it. It's uh, something about the shape of it. It's yeah. so attractive. There is, but I am going to probably upset half the listeners here. I think the P one is a nicer car. Uh, well, you could have you could probably have about five P ones yeah, for your yeah. ones yeah. and enjoy them. Yeah, well, no one knew you would fa- have five thousand <laughs> P ones if you can buy them for twenty two quid. Here's the thing, and it goes back a wee bit to, to a question you asked me: if you had the money, Gary, for any of those cars you talked about, be it the Tommy Mac, be it the the twenty two B, would you drive them at that price, or are you going to drive Stuart as well? This is what I thought when I saw the RS four two hundred miles, and I thought. It's great that an example like that exists, that you can actually go to a car show. They haven't all been wrecked. They haven't all been written off. There's one there you can look at, and people who are younger maybe and getting in the car have never seen one or haven't appreciated it, and even older models as well. But to me, it's insane. I, I just believe they have to be driven, you know. But well, if 99% of them get driven, and if you get locked away and brought out to shows for us to look at, so be it. Well, that, you, you've yeah. mentioned the very thing I was going to say. If people if people buy them and at least bring them out to a show or yeah. whatever else and go into these mm-hmm. owner clubs, fair enough. If it goes into a lockup somewhere and you never see it again because it's just it's just like art. Yeah, you know that's a that's a bit of a, a shame. And it's, and I and I was uh, there was a few people over from Northern Ireland. I was chatting to them, and they were buying cars for collections. Mm-hmm. You know, out of you know, were just going. They were just they would just vanish into um, into somewhere. But but and some some of those people use them, and some of those people just bank it. It's the same. Have you seen um, one of the threads in the forum? Um, Simon's Mark One MR Two. Oh yeah. You know, again, that that's probably something similar. It was uh, one owner from your car with something stupidly low miles. Like, it was still the original tyres on this it. This is the boxy 80s. Yeah, this is, Mark this is the really nice one. one. So, so I had one of the Mark II ones, but the Mark I was a lovely car. It was just really, really nice. There was something different about them. But this car still had the original seals on it, the original mats, the, um, the original tyres with the wee, you know, the wee nipples sticking mm-hmm. out of them. And Simon, fair play to him. First thing up to Rick's garage, got belts, oils, everything has changed. And he's out enjoying it. And, and there's yeah. something... Now, he's not putting mega miles on it. Yeah. But it's absolutely not going to be a complete garage queen. So I would love to be in a position where I had the money to buy any of those cars. Um, but when you spend that kind of money on a car, I think there would just be that fear in you totally. about taking it out and yeah. pranging it or somebody... Like, this is a discussion I have at home all the time because my dad has a few in his collection which are low mileage and he won't drive them. And then constantly at him, he'll take them out and drive them. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> he sees them as investments, but then, you know, he's, he's coming to 70, he's never going to sell them, he doesn't want to sell them. So I'm like, if, if you're not going to sell it, it's not an investment. It's a, it's a toy mm-hmm. then. Yeah. And if it's a toy, you should go out and enjoy it. True, true. But well, we, it's we, the drawing. We need, we need to do a, a, a whole show on on, uh, on those cars someday because, uh, yeah, your dad has quite the quite the collection of exquisite pieces. Anything else uh, at Silverstone, Gary? Yeah, the, the uh, 2000 R34 Skyline GTR V-Spec. The, the blue one I was talking yep. about, yep. Yeah, 68,000 miles. Again, no sale, which I'm not surprised at because as far as I remember, they've gone totally insane. I think the guide price was 120 for it. Yeah, but even 100, for... A re- 100, 100, no, I wouldn't say high mileage, but 70,000 miles certainly isn't, you know, as low mileage as some of the cars there. Was the R34 one of the ones that weren't allowed into America in the la- until the last few years? Is that right? Yeah. yeah what's the 25-year rule? So, yeah. yeah so it's so that's what's driving the yeah, price. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, someone will just put that in a box somewhere and, mm-hmm. and wait until it can go to the US. Totally. Which, which is what's happened when we talked to Chris Gray, and that's a brilliant podcast. Everyone likes their, their JDM cars. Chris Gray was saying... 
that's what's driven the, the huge increase in price in Japan because yeah. a lot of the stuff was just getting ready to go to the US and stuff. Can they bring them in but not drive them, or can they not bring them in at all until 25 years? I, I, I don't I know. think there was something that, they, because it was the same as, do you remember, like the original Land Rovers, where you could bring them in but you couldn't drive them mm-hmm. because they, they literally wouldn't pass whatever tests that had to be done, be it emissions, be it crash safety. F- Federalised, as they yeah. call them, yeah. So I think now a lot of those things have changed, um, which is bringing more and more of them in. Again, those, those, those the original Land Rovers are proven to be really popular because you can't buy them anymore um, and loads of them are heading across the water. Yeah. I'm going to ask, I have a f- future guest lined up for, for the show and you'll not mind me talking about but uh, Patrick on the forum who lives in Vegas mm-hmm. uh, so um, I'm actually going to visit him next year so oh. and bring the I'll bring the mics with me and we'll do a bit of a chat and Brilliant. I must bring that up with, with him um, and find out because he'll know exactly the Did story. Did he fly his Dima out to he had the Dima 306 That's didn't he? I was going to ask does he still have it? I, oh, think it's, I think it's at home somewhere is it still? Uh, the late arch one. It's a class looking thing. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll get there. So, uh, yes, yeah, so like, Ross, if you have, we have to come over with us, I think you'll, you'll enjoy... I, I think uh, we could do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah enjoy, enjoy the good classic Good all around, yeah. We had a and few, few beers, a few good dinners. It was uh, enjoyable. And Silverstone Auctions yeah. is one of the, 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 uh, the big things there. I'm trying to think what else... Uh, uh, the last car I had in the list, just for a notable mention, was a 1967 Ferrari 330 GTC, one of 22 right-hand drive UK cars, which some poor punter, uh, he parted ways with £540,000. I don't think he's poor if he's given <laughs> half no. a million notes for... I'm sure that'll be driven every day. For a Fezza. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's just lovely to be able to go in and walk around these things yeah. of absolute beauty, like... You know they are they are amazing. There is something nice about going to you know any car show and and you know the the ones over here the likes of the Eurotreff and the Dubshed shows. There's something for me that that's lovely seeing about people who take care of their cars, uh, not just because of the business I'm in, but when you see people who take a real pride in what they're doing and and present them the nicest way possible. There there is there's just something that you have to appreciate about yeah. somebody who 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 takes the time and the effort and the energy to make whatever car they have just look the way they do. I must say too that that show in the NEC. Uh, one thing that stood out to me was the, the sheer value of some of the cars. Yet they're not cordoned off. You know, they're, they're people are very respectful of it. They'll walk around the cars. You know, there'll be no scrapes, no damage, nothing out there. You sometimes go to a, a cruise or something over here. And I mean, no disrespect, but sometimes you will see younger guys or yeah, a few drinks in them hanging off the bumpers or whatever. Look, whilst it's in my head, uh, be quite busy the last while. Uh, first of all. A couple of weekends ago, uh, Red Bull came to the Titanic Quarter, which was was absolutely fantastic. So they were doing what they call the Red Bull Car Park Drift and do this all over the world. And um, local competitors can compete. And then there's uh, some sort of uh, world final, uh, which unfortunately I haven't a clue where the world final is. Was that their first event here since the soapbox thing in Stormont? Red Bull. It was, like was, it, or it was the Red Bull gin camera thing that was on. Oh yeah, yeah. Just at the tail end of the summer there. That was monster. Well, that, sorry. Okay. Move. <laughs> Controversial. Careful. Careful. <laughs> Don't be mixing your energy drinks. I, I enjoy uh, all energy energy drinks equally. Yeah, or other other, other uh, caffeine infused drinks that are generally mixed with alcohol <laughs> But. Uh, Yes, yeah, so that's uh, this was actually a fantastic event. So it was it was down behind the Titanic Quarter building. It was on a uh, Saturday and Sunday evening at night. It was car parked on like a uh, like a Gymkhana course. So drift cars competed, and a lot of really talented local guys. Some of the best guys in um, 
in Ireland competed and uh, they maybe had sort of seven or eight different parts to it where they maybe had like a uh, a box with a barrel in the middle of it and they had to diff the car around it four or three or four times and then go through a, like a gate the width of the car sideways and mm-hmm. and uh, the way the stands and all were laid out everyone could see the whole track and it was floodlit and it was just a, such a professional setup it was absolutely first class I actually see a few people were were complaining they didn't know about it. I think the numbers were quite limited. Uh, I think it was two and a half thousand uh, people per per day, but it was it was just an yeah. absolutely great show. I'm going to be honest. I hadn't heard apart from reading on the forum about it. I didn't see it sponsored or or talked about across very many of the social media outlets. Um, it was one of those things which which should really appeal to so many here. And, and whilst I know the numbers are limited. I think the advertising that they're doing for it, maybe they need to look a wee bit more about how they're, you know, where, where it's been focused on. Well, I, I give you, I think these, unfortunately, some of these organisers are have trouble at the moment because I know that the monster event that uh, Nigel and Nigel co and had yep. were, were involved with GTI and I guys, that it was behind closed doors. They couldn't mm-hmm. have any spectators at it. Now, I nipped down because hashtag press pass. <laughs> but, um, hashtag do you know who I am? <laughs> the answer, uh, I always know the answer to that, unfortunately. Do <laughs> so you think maybe Rebel were trying to limit numbers? I, 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 yeah, I, look, I, I think that's that's part of it too. No, no even, even though it's outside, I think there's, you know, they want to do the event, but they don't want to be known to be, yeah. you know... Uh, Spreading the super spreaders, I uh, exactly so that's that's what I think. But um, super spreaders all supercharged with Red Bull. <laughs> so, look, there's uh, there's some coverage of that in RMS, uh, as well. Um, I also had the Ionic 5 Project 45, the special edition, and I did a video and some coverage of that in RMS. That is a brilliant EV, but we're not, we're not going to talk about EVs too much this week. Just say if you want to know about it, go and read it. Uh, watch the video, search for RMS Ionic 5 on YouTube if you want to see it, the video. It looks fantastic. One of my neighbours bought one. Uh, the only gripe I have is the name, because every time I hear Ionic 5, I think it's a Japanese boy band. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with what, what Gary said. I think it's fantastic looking. Yeah. Um, even before you got it, Andy, I saw Renis, um had put up some teaser photographs. Yeah. Um, but the way, like he's, he's a, again a really talented photographer, and he had put up just different angles in that there, and because of the way he had lit it, you weren't sure what was coming next, but it was just sexy looking, whatever it was. Um, just all angles and shapes and dot matrixy looking. Yeah, and it's so eighties, like eighties retro throwback looking, and then it's so smart inside. I, I've waxed lyrical so much before about Hyundai are sort of pegged up there with Tesla and mm-hmm. some of the best battery technology um, out there. So look, uh, go and have. Uh, Go and have a look at that, Norm, yeah. yes. You left one show too early, Craig. You could have sat here and talked all day. <laughs> I know, we see Craig's, Craig's left now. Um, he allegedly is going to buy a Tesla Model 3 now. So. Yeah, he got a run one, didn't he? I was reading already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the Mini's so. blown out now, is it? Uh, apparently so. Apparently okay. he, he got up past the Chancellor's show. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see how he... It's a, it's uh, a mini adventure. <laughs> he, uh, he gets on with, uh, with that. I did a bit of sim racing as well recently, which I haven't been in a in a sim in years, and did some dirt rally too in a set of a set of course of competizione. That is first class. So the other thing that uh, we've been up to this year, I've done maybe half a dozen track days this year, but uh, that's where I bumped into yourself, Ross, and uh, we started talking about this podcast. But mm-hmm. you took your twenty two quid M three down. Yeah, so um, it kind of happened by accident. 
as all good stories do. Um, I was meeting Tony Greenan, um, who races, uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, he, he does post on RMS quite, you know, not as frequently as he should do. Um, but he races throughout the year. Um, he had the aerial atom, which was kind of a wee track car, toy car, Pamela Ballantyne's favourite car. Um, we had that there. Then he went and picked himself up uh, one of those Radical SR8s, which was a hill climb car, um, which he has told me since is even quicker. Uh, he's now racing, I think it's a Formula 3, it could be a Dal Riata car or something like that. Da- Dal Riata? Is that like uh, something to do with some John Samuels? <laughs> Hopefully, you mean uh, Dallara. That's, yes, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing to do with out of hours, uh, out of hours. medical. <laughs> um, so. He was taking the atom down uh, just as kind of thank you to people who throughout the year had been liking and sharing his posts on Facebook and, and just commenting on, on how he had been progressed throughout the, the season. Um, and I was one of the ones who, who was lucky enough to be asked to come for a wee passenger on. So this is down at the Track Skills Day. This that we down were at Track Skills Day down at Kirkson. Uh, um, my first ever Track Skills Day, either as a passenger or as a subsequent as a driver. So... He sent me a message in the morning, he was having some fuel problems, so he wasn't able to get down at lunchtime. Perfect, suited it out for me. So I took the nice wee drive, crossed the ferry, uh, landed up, and uh, as I landed there, there was like lunchtime, so they pulled us into the tracks, or into the, the pits. Because um, speaking to Tony, he says, look, Ross, I'm going to take six or seven passenger runs here for a few people first, so why don't you take that there out for a couple of laps? And I was like, <laughs> Right, okay, I'm allowed to. And he goes, well, go and speak to the guys in there and they'll have a word with you about it. And uh, so I went and met a big guy, Greer, um, who was halfway through a sandwich, but again, very accommodating, and dropped everything and says, yeah, look, come on, we'll take you out for a few famili- familiarisation laps. Don't look over great guys down there, just They're, so easy to deal with and run a real tight ship down do you know there something? Too. That was actually the one thing. They, they, they run such a professional day down there. And there's nothing a problem to any of the guys. It's a real good team um, from the marshals, from everybody else, from from the guys who are keeping an eye on the track and keeping an eye on us, more importantly. Um, but yeah, so Greer then took me out in an E65-20i boat of a car and he showed me there that it really doesn't matter what you're driving. If you know the circuit, if you know your braking points, your cutting points, if you know these things. Um, and it was just kind of fantastic there's two or three laps where he stopped in every corner said look we're going to stop here this is where you want to aim for um and then done one very very fast lap at the end of it and uh left me with the words of wisdom you'll forget everything i've just told you but don't drive at 10 tenths so (laughs) so um yeah then it was my turn on track um i went out to a clean track you know which was probably harder to judge because you know as we've all found out you know when you're following somebody in the road right there it's always easier been the chase car instead of the lead car um, so doing a few laps by myself was kind of a wee bit of driving like Miss Daisy at the start um, and then as you get three or four laps into it your confidence goes a wee bit uh, when you meet a black RX-8 and go past him suddenly you think look at me, I'm like great <laughs> um, you chase down a McGann then and you, you pass them in the back straight and, and suddenly then I started feeling like I was there's nobody else could fit to drive. I'm a natural at this year. It, it, it came to me so easily. Until a green MX-5 came tight to my back bumper around like Colonial and Fisherman's, and I can't even remember the names of them. Um, and he was giving me a hard time, so I thought it was great. Back straights, leaving him for blind until he was catching me up again. And everything was good to about, I'm going to say seven or eight laps in. And then the old famous E46 brakes came into play. 
or that's what I'm saying and that's what I'm sticking to. Um, came up the back straight and was watching because I, I was tossing that green MX-5. He got past me around the chicane, or not the chicane. Yeah, chicane. So he got past me around the chicane. So that's fine. I'm blasting it down and I'm catching on good, but I was easing off a wee bit. Next thing I seen was the Ferrari 488 coming like a bat out of hell and he was passing everybody. And then I saw Tony in the aerial at him coming from like two laps down and he was just coming blitzing. I was watching everything and, and came to the very end of the straight uh, before it's the hairpin, yeah? So missed my braking spot by about 15 foot because the brake fade in the E46 was just ridiculous. It just was soft, spongy. I was watching too much going around me but it put me into full-on drift, and everything was hunky-dory. I was drifting. I was like, look at me. I'm ready to go for one of these Red Bull drifting <laughs> days. Uh, until I overcorrected a wee bit, and then there's all these yellow flags started waving. <laughs> but they weren't waving to say, well done. They were waving to say, there's a lunatic has spun out here at the top of the hairpin. <laughs> so pulled it into the tracks, uh, pulled it into the pits then, and uh, survived unscathed. But it was just such an adrenaline rush. And then... I got chatting to you, and you're like, oh, come on, go out for a wee drive in, the, in my car here. So went out in your car, and, and it just blew me away. Just The GT4, The yeah. GT4. It was just like what that car can do for a road car, essentially. Um, the noise of it, the sound of it. Your, your driving skills, Andy, and I, I'm, I'm not buttering you up here on it. It was just like, it was fantastic. It, it, it's, again, it puts things into perspective about you think you can drive well until you sit with someone who can drive. Um and everything was hunky-dory until you were maybe three laps in and there was an S2000 in front of us and you were tearing up behind him and everything was hunky-dory. And the next thing, ping! <laughs> <laughs> this chip in your windscreen, although it wasn't a chip, I knew it was a bit of black rubber, but you're, fuck, 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 fuck! <laughs> <laughs> you, could see, you could see the rage in. And I didn't want to say to you, that I think it's only rubber, Andy, you're okay, you're okay, but this was a stone chip. But do you know something? Fair play to you. You made you drive all the harder, and you just kept going. <laughs> that and that, that's only because I flipping uh, had a windscreen go at me at a track before, and it's just an annoyance more. Than it. But, yeah. But you know what? The good thing about the if it's on the windscreen, you can replace a windscreen. Yeah. You don't have to paint a wing yeah. or a body panel or something like that. There, and that is. But, but you know, so and, yeah. and thank God it was only a bit of rubber. Thank God I said the relief in your face when we got into the pits, and uh, it was one of the guys, Steve or whoever it was, he came out and says that car sounded fantastic, and I was like, it didn't it? It was amazing, and he flicked off this wee bit of rubber in your windscreen, and honest God, the smile in your face. Oh, the relief! It. <laughs> it was just, it was just pure relief. Um, but then I went out with Tony, and Tony was in the atom, and he done what he said. He said to me before I went down, he says. Wear warm clothes, take a helmet and stick a nappy on you because I'm going to scare the <laughs> shit out of you. And in that I order. Said, in that order. And, and, and again, it goes down to the fact that, you know, going from me who can't really drive to you who can drive to then somebody like Tony who's a race driver. Um, and he was on the full pin with that there, Ariel Adam. And it, it's frightening how that car can do what it does. Um he was going so fast down the back straight that the helmet I was wearing obviously was you know a size too big for me out there I was having to stick my chi- my hand underneath the chin to hold the chin strap down <laughs> because the, the, the helmet was lifting um, he was just your he helmet was, arrow was slowing him down uh, yeah <laughs> my, my helmet slowed Tony down <laughs> but, your, your helmet game is poor <laughs> but it was frightening you know there was a couple of other guys of RMS there was Coog and Wheeloney and that they were out and, and he passed them like they were stopped uh, the guy in the Ferrari gave him a good run, but Tony then had a clean lap where we were coming right down. 
uh, what do you call the 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 debtors, debtors the, yeah yeah the debtors, debtors kink, yep he did not lift and yep. we were pulling I, I think I looked around and it was like 130 plus going around debtors and it was Which just huge yeah fra- it was it was just major major speed so it was um and this is on a setback tires that he was scrubbing off as well at that stage um you know you'd done the the colonial one colonial two and the fisherman's round the the back straight over the chicane and and it was just say so the g forces or something else it was mind boggling and he was just he was just unfocused like and turned around to me a couple of times and smiled at me as he's pulling well and triple figures going down the back straight and it was just yeah. it was amazing it, it, track days could be so addictive and and yeah it just it, it blew my mind going from me doing a bit of driving in my car which I enjoyed uh into you with your car which blew me away and then into uh a space frame of wheels with a supercharged engine behind your head it was just and wow. Some of them drivers make it look easy. Like I remember reading, I think it was Ari Vatnan, uh, took out a journalist, and I think he was on a GT2 911, and he was drifting at 120 mile an hour around a bend, and he was just chatting away calmly to the journalist about the, de- <laughs> the de- development program of the 911, you know, just <laughs> chatting about his dinner and whatnot, you know. On, on, and do you know what the other thing as well is? It totally changes your opinion of your car too and what it can do and yeah yeah like the m3 so it's really long geared sort of 100 mile an hour in third gear something like yeah. that there so like to really get it up the revs up the gears you need to have it on track on down the back you straight keep it in the boil yeah. absolutely yeah. you know and it, it brings on to the the two things that i really took home from that track day was number one i saw where my limits as a driver were um and that's what I said I'm, I'm not the best driver but i'm far from the worst driver but it shows you what the strengths of your car are. Um, I, I'll never be able to drive my car at, at eight tenths of its capabilities. But cars like the Ariel Atom, the Caterham that, that, that you're talking about getting out, um, cars like that there, you know, I don't know how suitable they are for the road. And that could bring bring back to what you were saying about, um, you know, a lot of Caterham owners don't hold them for more than a couple of years because they don't get the use out of them. That's right, we were talking about they're, this earlier, yeah. They're so high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, I think tracks are the places where you have to take a car like that to enjoy it. Um, it it's just, you, you couldn't achieve legally on the road what you can do on a track. Um, and even if you could, the track's such a safe environment to to kind of explore your limits and, and, totally. and hang the back end out a wee bit and, and leave there feeling like a hero thinking you're great and, and you've had a good fun, you've had, you enjoyed yourself, you've, you've taken a wee bit of fun. Um, but yeah, it, it, I just, from a first ever track day, it, it blew me away. Um, and although it only cost me 22 quid, I still don't think the, the yellow M3 is going to be a regular on, on Kirkus and tracks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know what? It's, it's the only place to go. If you, if you have a performance car of any description, getting into a track day is just, you know, you just learn so much more about the car and you just, you just can't... You can't exploit these cars on the road now, sure. A typical hatchback is, yeah. is, is what, 300 brake and does 60 in, in four seconds and, and is, is capable of several times the national speed limit. You just can't, you just can't you, deploy you, that on the road. You you can't. Even a, a semi, semi-warm or semi-lukewarm hatchback nowadays, as you say, you know, you're at the speed limit in five seconds. Yeah. yeah. So how much enjoyment can you really have out of it? Totally. You'll never get to its extreme. Yeah. Never, never mind all the other... Uh, you know, enjoying the chassis. The, the E46 has a, a a brilliant chassis, and and you maybe I know from taking our E46 out in the track 
years ago, I sort of remember like, oh, this is a bit soft. I had the drift car at the time, yeah. and, I, and I thought soft and all the rest. But once you get into the swing of it and yes. the feel for it and all the rest, you think, oh, this this is actually quite and is quite capable. And do you know something? Yeah. Because that 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 brings it back. So it's a three hundred and forty brake horsepower car. It's eighteen years old. A modern diesel will go past it. But it brings it back to what we spoke about at the start, that, that it's how the connection with the car and the feel of the car, it, it felt very natural um, whilst it's long geared and that there. You, you could really, you could kind of explore the, the, the potential of what you could do with it. And, and, and I understand what a lot of people talk about now with the, the chassis being so balanced on it. Mm-hmm. Whilst I have little to no experience of it, you could feel what the car was doing. Um, it was just very intuitive. And because yep. there's none of the modern controls, it's either traction on or traction off. Mm-hmm. That literally is it with the E46. And yeah, when you, when you can feel it and you can feel it natively and, and where it's pointing, where it's steering. Yeah, it was just, it was it was an amazing experience. And, and Your, Yours is a manual, is it? Mine's a manual, on, yeah. On SMG, yeah, so even better for the track yeah. in yeah. terms of that. And uh, getting a bit nerdy about the E46, was, it was the CS that they brought out, was it in 2005 they brought the CS out, with, which was one of the first cars with M, M Dynamic mode. It was sort of the first normal performance car that you could buy, which had sort of various, sort of the the slackened off that allowed a bit of slip and a bit of sideways mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which I, I actually think you can get that as a, an upgrade for for your car to sort of have that graduated yeah, so you, you can get it mapped on because at this moment in time it's either on or it's off yeah. it, there's there's no middle ground um, which again is, is um, it, it's a wee bit unnerving at times because again we're all coming from more modern cars which allow you that wee bit of you know uh, as it's pulling out of a junction I had, a, I had the E92 330D that was mapped um, and it was on a standard gearbox and that there but again you could you could you could twist it a wee bit you could have a wee mm-hmm. bit of fun with it um, things which are very controllable but I said when it's either all on or it's all off that's a very very different yeah, problem now there, there's degrees of intervention and how yeah. far you can go did I you have it on or off when you were oh I had it off oh good <laughs> man full off uh, which is why I went uh, I said holding the drift and I thought I was like a hero like Ken Block had nothing on me <laughs> and then it either caught grip or I, I, I don't know it's just like <laughs> spun around uh, but yeah full off I was reading already about the, the new uh, G M3, the X-Drive one, and yes. apparently it's really, really flexible in terms of how much intervention you want to, you know, there's there's a certain limit you can set where you're almost drifting, and then it kicks in, and they say it's, it's absolutely brilliant, it makes you feel like a hero when you go down the track. It, it actually has a drift, it has some sort of like drift, drift computer, and drift, yeah, where yeah. it can store your drift angles yeah, and, where, and where stuff like that. I was lucky enough during the summer, um, my X5 was in for software upgrades, whatever it was. And I had the new M3 out for two days. Uh, they gave me the Isle of Man green one, and I loved it. It was, it was. I actually do like the look of it. And 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 whilst it was horrendous at the start, like with everything, things start growing on people. But the kind of overwhelming feeling that I got from it was: this is a 500 horsepower car through the back wheels. Um, it's frightening how quick it gets to speed. It's frightening how quick. It's twitchy as well, and especially people could play in the M1 or the M2 buttons on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the X Drive is going to make a lot of sense for a lot of people. Um, but again, it comes down to the fact that a lot of driving nowadays does seem to be dumbed down. That you know, if you do something stupid, it's okay because the car, or the computer will correct it on you. Um, I think again, from from my 18 year old 340 horsepower car, you can see how quickly it can snap on you. Mm-hmm. Um, modern day cars, I think you have to be kind of on the limits of your driving ability and, and, and this leads to you know how anybody can really go in and pick up a car like this here out of a showroom with no driving experience whatsoever um, 
to go on a road in something that would spin you around as quick as uh, as you hit the, the go pedal too quickly if, you, if you're in the wrong mode. It's a catch-22 because the manufacturers are obviously looking at the statistics of crashes and you know all that there, and then they're under pressure from the governments and everything else and all the safety watchdogs. And they're putting in all these features to make cars safer, but then by doing that, they're taking away the skills of the driver. Yeah. Before we met up this evening, and it's not the reason why I'm late, but it might be, uh, was <laughs> I was watching, uh, there was a uh, it was left-hand drive uh, Peugeot 508, which are apparently a great car, by the way. And mm-hmm. uh, the guy had, well, it was on the motorway, and uh, the guy had stuffed like a two-litre drinks bottle in the steering wheel, so the steering wheel obviously thought that there was hands on it. I adapt the cruise on, and he was sitting in the back, <laughs> as you do. And and I know from using my because I use my adaptive cruise every day in the commute to work in the Yaris, and I know that uh, when you have the lane centering on, that it doesn't like uh, off slips. Mm-hmm. So when the solid line breaks into the dotted line, you have an off slip on the motorway. Doesn't like that, and it'll sometimes veer towards it. Yeah. So of course it was. This was on Facebook or whatever else, and it's like you're not watching this for a nice straight run on the road. You know, catastrophe is going to happen. And I was watching, and I saw there's the junction coming up, and I was like, I, I bet you the adaptive cruise and the lane centering shits itself on the on the junction. And yep, and this guy is sitting in the back seat with no one in the driver's seat, and the steering wheel is moving away, no bother. Next thing, it starts fearing. It, it start. It takes. It takes. It takes the exit when he didn't want it, and you see him leaning forward. And by the time he's leaned forward, the things in the barrier, and he's and he's going head wow, over heels. Wow. Dare I ask what he was doing in the back seat? Was this just for points for doing the video, or we, so so was he having a snooze? Or? To to explain as well about the uh, adaptive cruise. I think what they found out, especially with the early Teslas, when they put the the autonomous driving. Mm-hmm. Not sorry, not adaptive cruise, the lane centering, all that stuff, is that people would do stupid stuff like this so they said right you have to have your hands on the steering wheel and I know my Yaris if I take my hands off the steering wheel for more than five or six seconds it'll it'll start beeping like yeah. mad at me if you put your hands back on so this guy thought he'd be smart on this drinks bottle just perfectly mm-hmm. placed in the middle <laughs> jammed in his uh, Peugeot steering wheel would, would sort him out another Darwin candidate <sighs> For sure. I, I remember something like again it's a story from way back when when you know these were but the big American RVs there was a guy put in a lawsuit against one of the big American RV companies because as he's driving down the big highway he decides he's going to go and make a cup of coffee and he got out of the driver's seat as it's driving down the motorway I remember this yeah. yeah and he went back and he started making his coffee and it crashed and wrecked everything all around him and he's like but it was in cruise control like it's supposed to drive itself and his argument was basically, you never told me I couldn't. Yeah, you didn't tell me I couldn't. So I want millions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Americans. Have you been watching the most recent season of uh, Top Gear? The first episode there was out and uh, they did a fantastic tribute to the motorcycle stuntman, Eddie Kidd. Absolutely uh, fabulous. Did you see it, Ross, did you? Yeah, so I, um, I'm, I'm one behind, so I've seen the first two of them, but that the Eddie Kidd one... I just thought how they'd done it, how Paddy McGuinness portrayed it, the whole story. And again, I can remember, I can kind of remember off Eddie Kidd when I was, you know, a wee fella growing up and that there. Um, but I just thought the whole way they'd done the story, genuinely, there was tears in my eyes coming to the end of it because it was just done beautifully well. Um, I have to say, I think the new Top Gear team are working really, really well, but fair play to Paddy McGuinness and the producers now because that was just, it was just amazing to see the the impact that Eddie Kid had on, you know, other people, you know, drifters, drivers, motorcycle riders, stuntmen, you know, um, it was just amazing and it's so beautifully done. Do, do you remember him, Carol? To be honest, I I don't really. I actually do. Yeah, I didn't see the episode, but um, 
growing up, I would have actually been in the motorbikes a little bit. When I was eight years old, I had a, a wee two-wheeled bike that I used to go out and race about in the fields and things. And then once I got the bike, naturally started watching motorbikes on TV and you would see any kid at stunt shows and doing absolutely crazy and seeing stuff. parents and freaking out as you're running around trying to pretend you're any kid. Yeah, and he was, he was just this kind of cool character. He was a good-looking guy, you know, and he sort of ticked all the boxes and they became kind of iconic because of that, you know. So I'm going to try and watch this episode tonight, actually, whenever I get home, so I'm looking that's, forward to seeing it. That's, it's very good. Like, it's, yeah. very, it's very touching. Obviously, the guy had a, a pretty life-changing um, accident at one of his uh, events and, and uh, as you say, Ross, Paddy did a great job uh, of being very sensitive to that. Too, very, you know? very sensitive to it. Um, uh, I don't want to do any spoiler or scary, but you you love it when when you go you know when you watch it when you see just how well it was handled and and just everything like they really they showed the story of who Eddie Kid was and as you said he was a good looking fella you know all the guys wanted to be like him he wore this yeah. leather jacket he was cool he did a lot of mad great Wall of China stuff oh man I, that, that's the one thing I can remember and I, I I'm going to be that you know stood out, yeah. that that was the one thing that I kind of remember him off I, I didn't remember anything else but I can remember it was just this maniac jumped over the Great Wall of China in a motorbike and it was just yeah, it was fantastic. As, as a child, you can remember those things. An evil can evil son and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was. A, it's it's a great show. It's well, uh, really well worth um, watching. As as is the uh, the caravan episode is is excellent. Episode three was on Iceland and it didn't hit home just as well as the first two, but probably because the first two were really high watermark, brilliant TV, yeah. and. It's just the best thing on a Sunday night, I think. You know, just you're you're in, you've you've the work week in front of you, you don't really want to think about it, you just want to be able to switch off and enjoy people having a good time and these guys are class. I think those guys, those three guys just have really, really gelled as a team. You know, there's I've I loved Chris Harris for a long time. I think he's he's a brilliant driver. Um I know that, you know, in the early days on the, the RMS threads where we used to talk about Harris, um a lot of people didn't like him because he, maybe he didn't come across as very sort of very easy or, or speaking. But but I just thought I've always thought he's been a fantastic driver and he conveyed really really well. But when you see him, McGuinness and Freddie Flintoff working together, it's not just rehashing the old kind of you know Clarkson Hammond May thing. These are the only three. They they're, they are their own three guys. They work really really well with each other, and they just seem to be like fellas having fun. Yeah. They've got their own dynamic. Yeah, very much so. The the show's now really consistent. Generally, it's consistently uh, good, whereas I think the Grand Tour has had its ups and downs. It's had some brilliant stuff, and it's had some really uh, uh, terrible stuff. But I'm really actually quite looking forward to, have you seen the ads for Carnage à Trois? Yes. Which is is a a great title, but the... um, the trailer for it, I don't know when, it must be out very, very soon. But Probably coming up to Christmas now. Up, yeah, it, it actually looks like yeah. proper good crack, you know. I, th- I think that's where those three have really found their niche. When the, you know, when you think back to any of the, you know, when they were with Top Gear, when they were with uh, even the great the Grand Tour and that there, where those three have really found their calling is doing those long boys trips, you know, that, that we would all love to go and do, you know, crossing yeah. countries in, in some really classic car or having fun or... Those three have really filled that gap and that niche for them. Um, but, some, said, but some of those are feel a wee bit pointless, and yeah, and you know, and a wee a wee bit forced. Whereas uh, now, one thing, I, another thing I've been watching recently is have you see, any of you seen Richard Hammond's workshop? No, how's that been? Uh, so I've only started watching it the last couple of days. It's absolutely brilliant. So really recommend that Clarkson's Farm is is really Clarkson good. Farm is great. Yeah. And did fabulous. you see the James May the where he can't cook? Did you see that Amazon no. show? Do you know something? James May is actually 
another really likable character because mm. he he's whilst he might play a wee bit of the you know the bumbling fool, he's a really really clever intelligent man, and there's there's just something about like again it's something simple as he's got this potato peeler that he's had for. I don't know, like 40 or 50 years, and he's, you know, it's, it's like Trigger's broom, it's been taken apart, it's been sharpened, but he's he's so methodical about things. I think he's really good, and, and that was the kind of worry about Hammond, that, you know, he doesn't have the same kind of natural charisma that the other two had, but I, I am interested in, in, in catching the show. Well, uh, a real good uh, one that um, James made it was, did you ever see when he built the, the motorbike out of Skelextrix yes. and did the Isle of Man TT, yes. TT circuit on it? That's, that's fantastic. Uh, a fantastic watch but yeah Hammond's workshop's fascinating because he's probably taken a step back and thought well he's Jeremy's away doing um, the the farm thing and he's got uh, who wants to be a millionaire Mm -hmm. Uh, James May's doing his cookery show and our man in Japan and all those other shows he's done and and then didn't he I think that Ham, the hamster did another show on streaming and it didn't do very well. Was it the escape or escape? That's right. Oh, that, that, that was with the American guy where they were pretending they were um, shipwrecked on a desert island. They had to make all these mm. kind of gadgets and that there. And I don't think that really it really landed. But what Hammond's done is he took uh, he took as he's a fleet of fantastic stuff like old Porsches and he had a one of the very final uh, Esprit turbos and stuff like that, and he auctioned it all off to start the show. He sold everything off to to do the show, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So uh, Harry Metcalf actually did reviewed all uh, on the one. I must actually watch that one of Hammond now. I think it was sort of a fear that Hammond and May and uh, Clarkson are only good together as a trio. Yeah. And when they go and do their own things, they're not going to hit the same kind of, hit the same spot or have the same dynamics. And then the other new guys that are in Top Gear, it's kind of the opposite. They've all worked on their own and been very successful in their mm-hmm. own fields. Flintoff and Harris yeah. and McGuinness. And now they're coming together, but working well as a team too. So, well, what, And totally, like I, I don't yeah. take something generally as, as uh, face value because I'm just a natural mm-hmm. torture that way. Someone said, oh, that's good, go watch it. And I'd be like, but yeah, Ron Tomato says it's like 24% audience. <laughs> I'm not watching that yeah. shit. Uh, but, uh, the public has spoken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, totally. So, uh, so Harry Metcalf talked about Richard selling all these cars and he's obviously raising a million quid or whatever else mm-hmm. and um, I thought well okay he's putting his own money behind it so there's no I, other investors except for him I couldn't so understand it was well, he not getting paid like five million an episode or top gear or something yeah well uh, well um, possibly Clark, Clarkson stole it all possibly <laughs> I, I don't know he, he famously or infamously tried to move his family down so the hamsters from Hereford and he tried to move the family down to Kent or Surrey or something like that, and uh, it, his it was his his wife had bought him a, a Ferrari from Harry Metcalf for his birthday. Okay, and uh, I think when he moved the family down to uh, south of England, that he had he rent they rented a house and he was obviously doing really well, top gear and all the rest. And uh, then they got down there, and before the weekend was out, they were like, "No, this isn't us." And they would the landlord wouldn't let them out of the lease for six months, and he had to sell a fry to clear <laughs> to clear the rent. Should have went normal well, property, yeah, Fred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, um, so that was the story. So, so, I, so I had that story in the back of my mind because I remember seeing him with Harry Metcalf before, and they were talking about this particular situation because it was the shared car that they mm-hmm. had both owned, and then and then seeing this, and I thought, yeah, flip, this is quite this is quite ballsy here. This mm-hmm. could go drastically wrong. So then, near to where he lives, uh, there's a father and son outfit who do car restorations in like 
E-type Jags, Jensen Interceptors, all that sort of stuff, but work out of a wee sort of shack of a place. Mm-hmm. And he, the hamster basically approached these two guys, the father and son, said, look, we'll use my profile to go and try and get uh, the best quality cars we can possibly get to try and refurbish them and you know and uh, do this whole classic car wow. restoration piece and and then so then he then put a huge amount of money in building a huge premises now I haven't seen them moved into the premises yet because mm-hmm. it starts off that he hasn't built anything yet okay. he's, so it's like really at the right I've just sold these cars and like he's and what are, what are we going to do now and oh literally yeah. a wee bit yeah totally and he's like ringing people and trying to get help and he's going to classic car shows and he's talking to people who do this already and then trying to get you know how, how does he get in there and, yeah. and who would be interested he goes to see some classic car collections that people have he went to this guy's place and and um, a beautiful big country estate and then you go out the back and there must have been 40 containers just rows of stuff and it was just full of classics wow. in, in like temperature controlled containers you know and that's that's the sort of people that he wants to work with that want to come and spend six figures on a yeah. on a restoration like the back of Lions' house <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh catalytic converters <laughs> <laughs> catalytic converters temperature controlled <laughs> so so then so then he's thinking right uh, so then he's asking people he's like well, well how how would you let me? He said to Harry Metcalf, actually, at one of the the London Classic Car Show or something. I said, how, "How would I get someone like you, Harry, to come take your your nineteen seventies Lambo and and let me restore for me?" He says, "Well, show me show me work that you've done." And he's like, "Ah, oh, crap! I need to go out and buy, spend mm-hmm. twenty, thirty, forty, fifty grand on something, and spend that money on it I again." Show you would have crashed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's so it's fascinating, and then uh, it's fascinating the guys who the father and son who are old hands at this whole mm-hmm. thing. And then there's Richard, who's like the complete wild card, and he doesn't know how to. And he's like, "Well, we'll, we'll save money doing this," and then it costs them three times as much. And they're like, "Oh, you learn the hard way, you know." So, yeah. so it's interesting. He's he Richard just thought, "Well, we'll just t- entirely bank off my profile," but it have to have to be a businessman as well. Only carry you so far. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, it's really quite mm-hmm. interesting from the from both sides of things, and and some lovely motors on it as well. So. Well worth a watch. You have to get the, the subscription yeah, so to Discovery, like Discovery Plus. Discovery Plus or something like that. There, yeah, so. I'm, I'm sure you can get it from other somewhere. sources. Ways and means. Somewhere. <laughs> Discovery Minus, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it was good. Actually, at the classic or the classic car show was good. The uh, the live show, the live show would stand with Mike Brewer and Aunt Anstead and that sort of stuff. And the NEC. yeah, that was quite good. They had a good. Um, Kind of, I don't know. Like, there was a good bit of chat between them, a bit of humour and all that there. You know, it was quite relaxed. Yeah, I'll, so be honest, I'll be honest; I don't remember a lot of what they said because of the maniac who was sitting a few rows ahead of us. I kept laughing his head off, and he was so loud at everything. There was a few interesting yeah. characters, and there was the, a few characters right in the uh, in the audience, all right. But um, okay, so uh, one thing I saw this week in the news is the Bugatti and Rimac merger, which was announced. It's kind of been in the back burner for quite some time, but as far as I know, they just finalised it over the last few weeks. Uh, Bugatti, as you know, quite an old company. They were in the go from 1907 up to the 1940s, and they made these very kind of fancy-looking cars, and then disappeared, and then uh, they came back in a slightly different format in the late 80s. Uh, I'm sure you all remember anyone who saw that an F40 Ferrari poster on the wall probably had an EB110 Bugatti as well, yeah, quad turbo, which is an amazing-looking car. And then they disappeared again, and then Volkswagen Group brought them back, uh, obviously with the, the Veyron, which needs no introduction here. And the Chiron as well. And the Chiron, yeah. <laughs> So um, they've been selling three million pound hypercars basically for the last few years, and now they're going to merge with Rimac. They formed Bugatti Rimac, and uh, Matty Rimac, the, who's the, the head of the Rimac company, is going to be the new CEO of Bugatti Rimac. So it's quite a quite a coup for him. 
Uh, he's only, what is he, 33 years old? 34 oh, years old. That he's, guy. he's a young guy to be a CEO of a And doesn't own one himself. Team. No. No, and and it just seems like the most down-to-earth yeah. guy. That's a totally yeah. different... He's just not. He's just the polar opposite to like Elon Musk, you know what I mean? Exactly. So, you know, Elon Musk obviously is doing one thing for electric cars, and he's, he's taking tails in a certain direction. But I think if you're a car enthusiast and you're your performance not there, what Matt Evermix doing is absolutely amazing. Like he's making these... Hypercars and really pushing them to their limits of what they can do, and, and maybe quietly in the background making electric powertrains for yep. every other OEM under the sun. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they do because Bugatti obviously have taken this kind of sledgehammer approach of putting a massive engine in their car and as many turbos and radiators and whatnot that they can fit to it, and then this guy is going for electric. So and it's how, how you going to merge those two everything approaches? It, again, my my YouTube's filled up with like drag races and that there, and and that Rimac just seems to be bonkers yeah. just how quick it yeah. is. Crazy, bonkers. Uh, you know, again, whilst whilst we're not um, waxing lyrical about electric, so uh, I've been in Big Pete's uh, Tesla performance, mm-hmm. and I've never sat in anything that accelerates in quite the same way. It, it, it's it almost makes you feel sick how quickly they they get from zero to whatever speed you want to take it to. It, it, they're, 25, they're, 30 miles an hour. That's it's but it's frightening how quickly it does it. And, and again, I saw the Rimac against, was it, what's the, the Plaid model, isn't that? The, the, the Tesla, Tesla yeah, Plaid. Yeah. That, yep. And again, there was a video of the Rimac just annihilating that mm-hmm. Plaid model. And the Plaid is like a nine second quarter mile. Quarter mile. I think they were making, annihilated everything, though. They had it up against everything. 911 GT3s. And everything. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. It's frightening. Yeah. Well, with that said, the Bugatti, uh, the, the last one came out to Chiron was absolutely amazing. Um, not just how it looks, but the noise, the performance, the sound, everything. There's a there's a brilliant video actually. It's on RMS. You find it on YouTube if you if you look for zero to four hundred Bugatti Chiron, and it really shows you what they can do. But they imagine that car being taken, you know, two hundred percent again quicker. As, as yeah. beyond me, it's just it's hard to comprehend. That's incredible, incredible. Again, it goes back to how are people and, and whilst cars like this here aren't everyday cars by any stretch of imagination. There's coming a limit of cars about how fast they are at the minute. You know that when when something accelerates as brutally um, as these cars do, is there going to be a cutoff point? You know, do, do we think governments or whatever else are going? To, because the, the danger with the the electrics is there's no noise to them, and when you've got something the likes of Pete's car that can go from zero to a hundred mile an hour in in seconds, mm-hmm. that's where things do become frightening. You know, you, you've got. There's um, Rick on the forum. He has the RS6, um, which has got two or three different maps on it. He's got a map which is just shy of a thousand horsepower. Unbelievable. And he took me out running it. And just the mid-level pull and torque that it can achieve on private roads or runways. Um, you know, Tufty is an RS6 as well, and, and we all kind of call it the land yacht. For something the size of them yeah. that that move, but there's the noise. There's that V10 engine oh, that's uh, just out of this world. But you've got an electric car which will do the same off the line. It, they won't match the mid pull, but mm-hmm. they'll do they'll do the same off the line. And it does come to a point where are things getting more dangerous for the drivers, for their capabilities, for 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 pedestrians, for whatever? Because a BMW i3. You know, they will go from zero to thirty-five or zero to forty as fast as pretty much anything else out there with no noise, and they're like a big lump of an egg coming <laughs> at you. And p- pedestrians are. But then you could already get when you, when you, when the, the the manufacturers push these cars to extremes, it's forcing development. Yeah. You know, like um, 
I think when the Bugatti came out, the first car they do 250 or whatever right. it does, they had to develop special tyres for it, and then all that filtered down on the road mm-hmm. tyres eventually. And they've got ones now they're chatting are going to do 300 mil an hour, and they're again building new tyres for them. I always love the same when it trickles down, it's like a Corsa <laughs> <laughs> ZR plus rated tyres yeah. to do 300 miles an hour. And so ditch finders. <laughs> yeah, ditch yeah, finders. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some guy sitting at 110, very disappointed. Sunny pluses. <laughs> okay, another news this week. We have a new contender for possibly the worst grill ever seen on the car since the uh, the new BMW 3 and 4 series. Since the X5. Since, since Ross rolled into the car park <laughs> and the X5. And the X5 with the huge nostrils. <laughs> we'll just have to go easy on you in your first night. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's there's a new Audi eight, A8 coming out, which is just pretty much like all the eights have come before. Um, it's going to have all the usual tech and bits and pieces. But what's interesting is that they're making a Horch model. Uh, it's for China only. Now, Horch apparently is the name of the guy who founded Audi many, many years ago. Is a Horch like a honky? Is that the I don't know, actually, if you say Horch or Horch or Horch. Horch, it's a Horch. A so this is going to be a Maybach right now. We're going to put a photo into the uh, the show notes so you can have a look. But oh, can't wait to see this guy. They have completely oh. chromified the front of it for oh, China. It is horrendous. Because as we know, the, the cars in China all suffer oh. from extremely great looks and aesthetics. Those look like Bentley-type rims on it or something, don't they? Yeah, they're really pushing it for kind of like a Mercedes Maybach competitor. So 5.3 metres long from nose to tail. Perfect for China. Yeah, and then you get uh, this massive chrome grill, chrome mirrors, big, huge, blingy wheels. So it's worth a look at. Do you know who's going to love that? Yeah. Lions. Lions. You think he'll, he'll be <laughs> He's bound to have a spare set of wheels. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's horrendous. Even that, the colour, like that kind of jade greeny colour is just. Olive green, apparently. Oh. They're just doing it all wrong. Yeah, but it actually, you know, you look at that and you look at the, the new M3 and all's forgiven. <laughs> uh, do you know what the new M3 is and I said it on the very first show it, it is a grower it's a yeah, grower I've said it in the Fred too I've seen a few in the road uh, ones behind me recently and the more I look at them now I think actually the grill's not so bad I, I still stand by the, the, yeah. the M3 is better looking than the M4 yeah, yeah I just 100%. haven't taken to the new M4 at all I still think something about the proportions are slightly off yes and I think the more I look at it it's the, the wheels the standard wheels don't seem to look big enough they get nope. swallowed up and uh, the competition one I had were staggered wheels as well. They were 20s in the back and 19s in the front. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but they looked like they needed to be spaced or dropped mm-hmm. a wee yeah. bit. Just a bit wider and fatter would be mm-hmm. near perfect. Yeah. Big big car. Uh, the new GT4 RS was announced and wow. and, yes. and launched. Uh, wow. Real, um, a real shocker, actually, that Porsche decided to put the GT3 500 horse engine and, or 493 brake but 500 so horse by near more, more to the point have you cancelled the Amira <laughs> well here here's the problem um, and uh, Johnny Smith did a uh, good video on his uh, late break show YouTube channel there recently he reviewed the new GT4 and he was saying how great it was and he couldn't believe how compared to a GT3 at 120-130 grand this was only 75 grand and it was sort of a lot more attainable but these cars are not easily bought at all like for you to be able to walk into Porsche and put an order in for an ordinary GT4 you need to be spending hundreds of thousands of pounds every yeah. year with them mm-hmm. you need to be buying McCann's and Boxsters and all sorts of stuff to get your name on the list bread and butter yeah, stuff get on the list to get it yeah yeah and um, it's, it's I remember when I was looking for my GT4 I thought well the price of a second hand older shape car like my 981 uh, it was very close to the price of a brand new car so I mm-hmm. think I contacted maybe 20 dealers to try and get my name on the list 
and I think maybe two came back and said, if you send us a letter uh, of interest and obviously a figure, we hadn't got to the stage of a figure, but it could have been maybe give us 10 grand. That goes into the dealer's pocket and then we'll see what we can do. That's horrendous. I know. Uh, and do you know something? It kind of puts, it's the same as, you know, the kind of luxury watch, you know, the, the Omegas, the Rolexes and that there. It's kind of, if you're not spending enough money with us, your money's not good enough. Do you, do you, and yeah. and it's, it's, there's a bit of a pretentiousness it a about a, it. a click then, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, if you're not, then yeah. you can't win. And, and that kind of pretentiousness, you know, I suppose is what keeps them exclusive. And then, am I right in saying, Andy, even if you have got a Porsche, you've got then no guarantees of getting one of their RS models? Oh, I abs- absolutely. Yeah, just because just because you have a GT3 doesn't mean that you're not going to get a GT3 RS or GT. You know, uh, yeah. you still. I would say to get the GT4 RS, and they are only a hundred and ten thousand pound, which is a lot of car for the money. But that's a hell of a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But if an ordinary GT4 is that difficult to get, the RS models, you know, those. I would say that when anyone who has a GT4 or GT3 had the width that there's mm-hmm. going to be an RS. That was nearly all set in stone. Who yeah, was getting what? The names were down. Yeah. The names were, and and that was not the customer deciding. That was the dealerships probably deciding who's going to uh, get the car. And it's within their rights to do that. But you know, in this part of the world, obviously we live in a, we have an open market, and you can pretty much buy what you want as long as you can afford it. So it leaves a bad taste in your mouth if you're a car enthusiast, but you can't get your hands on it. Say you've come in the money, or you've you've succeeded in your business, and you're in a position to afford one. Well, I I just think it like uh, why can't it be like um, my Yaris? Mm-hmm. You just go onto the Toyota online. You put your deposit down. Job done. Because yeah, your money's yeah. as good as anyone else's. And that's uh, it totally, it's, to- it's totally, it's okay. totally, fair way to do it. Tell me now, our members would be. There was always the talk that Porsche were kind of dumbing down the GT4 a wee bit because obviously the 911 being their flagship car, the the model that's just been successful, succeeded after each one. Is this RS engine, which is a GT3 engine, I believe, detuned slightly, um, being put into the GT4? Does that make the GT4 the best real-world Porsche you can get? So I think the, the you're possibly not a million miles away. I'm going to say that as a GT4 owner anyway. But um, Porsche's biggest problem with the, the GT4 is that it was a brilliant driver's car because it was mid-engined. Yes. The problem with the 911 is you have the engine over the back wheels right, and, the back and wheels. then you have to drive a huge amount of engineering to make that car drive really well, which they have the, a design flaw. Yeah, form. Yes, and stuck a 911 engine into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 911 uh, Carrera S Park Hit engine, whatever it's called, uh, and from the 991 generation, which is in my car, and it has just absolutely beautiful, sweet balance, which you sort of felt on on, on track. On like and it was it, it was amazing. It was just just fantastic. I have been in a 911 before, and. I got the kind of twitchiness that you heard the, the owners talking about, that that kind of snap, and when it snaps on you, it goes, which it's I think... Just, it's just different, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so like, mid-engine's just where you want it. It's right over the back wheels for for maximum traction rather than having the pendulum mm-hmm. in the boot. And putting the 500 horse into the car, which the chassis is more, more than capable of doing. But um, there's a great podcast, and uh, because we lost some footage earlier on of this show, I don't know if I mentioned it already, but if you haven't heard it this will be for the second time go and listen to the Collecting Cars podcast Chris Harris interviews Andreas Pudinger who is the head of the GT division of Porsche and he mm-hmm. is super enthusiastic about cars and just talking about the whole development process and putting that engine in that the GT 992 generation GT3 and GT3 RS you can tell that Porsche have just thrown the absolute kitchen, kitchen sink at it 
they've held, they have nearly deliberately held back because they probably think, well, if they do that with a GT4, they'll probably just, it'll, it'll just make it a better car, yeah. which would probably ho- hurt the whole 911. It's bound to, because again, even even the standing cues that they've taken, I, I looked up some photographs of it, and it's got this beautiful, like, full carbon bonnet and this yeah. big, wider mouth and grills at the front. Um, you know, it's just, it's gorgeous, so it is. The rear quarter windows, uh, they have carbon fibre intakes. So wow. it's just, uh, they've no quarter windows in it, just the intakes and just the noise sounds incredible. I'll post a link to the Porsche's video, it's absolutely first class. So it just seems amazing but it's just a shame it's just it's all it's well, the, the, the problem too is that the 911 now is suffering badly from bloat as well just like every other car like every other car uh, you know it's, it's the 911s are brilliant especially the 992 they're absolutely amazing looking but there's no denying how big they've got and quite fat looking and then the gt4 came in now or any model came in i suppose it's, it's, it's kind of slipping in this slot where it used to sit in terms of size it's a bit like you know even look at the new free series or the most current ones that are out now they're kind of almost getting the E thirty nine five series size from a few years back, yeah. and the M two has become kind of the new M three replacement. I know you're a big fan of the M M two. We're ever going to see uh, one on the uh, Riley driveway? I don't know. I'm swaying more towards the F eighty now. <sighs> Definitely mm. the four doors. The practicality at my age is very important. So yeah, I yeah. think Pablo's chatting about them too. So yeah. we might see one there. So both both uh, great cars. Interestingly, yeah. from the nine nine one to nine nine two generation of GT three, there hasn't been any increase in weight. And in between times, they've had to fit like uh, you know, GPF. Fitting GPFs and everything now, so nothing mm-hmm. sounds. No, nothing sounds. Nothing sounds good. Yeah. So my my GT four is pre no. Uh, GPF and the new shape one is, and so there's a noticeable difference in, in noise it's, un, it's unreal how much the, the noise is dumbed down uh, especially with these new filters because as you said like, even that M3 that I had out there was n- no noise from it whatsoever mm. and this is again this is a 500 horsepower car that sounded like nothing yep. and it should sound good and it should sound that's good that's what I loved about your car too Andy when I had it on on it it screams well, I think we're going to let uh, lane centering pull us off the road into the nearest uh, bit of barrier. <laughs> uh, Ross, that wasn't too bad. Thank you very much. What do you reckon, Gary? We'll maybe, we'll maybe have him back again. We'll think about it. And boys, no, I haven't plugged no. anything once. No, I so, so I have to good. come back the next time to plug. No. <laughs> ah, exactly. We'll, we'll definitely have you back. Well, once we get that contract signed, we, uh, <laughs> we, can, we can certainly look at that. So, well, the, the golden handshake. Paper click. But that's uh, no, been good crack. Um, hopefully, next time you hear us, we will have a guest on. Anyway, thanks for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, do all the things that we're supposed to tell you to do so you can hear us again. And we are everywhere at RMS Motoring and on, of course, rmsmotoring.com. If you have any questions, uh, please email us at pod at rmsmotoring.com or get us on the socials or on the forum and ask us some questions. And thanks for joining us. And remember, there's no warranty. This was sold to sing.